Well, do you believe that the devil is real? Do you believe that there are supernatural forces at work in the world today? There's a whole diverse set of opinions out there in the world. You've got the materialistic rationalists who say that the only thing that exists in this universe is stuff, matter, and um, there's no such thing as supernatural. Evil for them is just something that's a kind of a construct of the human mind, the dark imaginations that uh, we project out into the world. So you've got that side of things, but then you've got at the same time in this world this kind of deep fascination with the occult. And that's kind of seen throughout the culture in very superficial ways. There's just a never-ending stream of kind of really weird um, fictional films and TV shows and books. The Twilight Saga, you know, the uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, an obsession with vampires, witches, ghosts. And people sort of never seem to get enough of all that. And then from that sort of superficial looking at those darker topics, you've got others who actually want to pursue this much more seriously, that are involved with tarot cards, who seek to communicate with the dead, who engage, you know, even in this city of Edinburgh. Once a year we have this sort of fire festival, the Beltane Fire Festival, where there are pagans who take this very seriously and offer blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices up there on Calton Hill in our very city. You've got others who are quite serious that they're Satanists. And so you've got these two weird, different things going on. Oh, it's, there's nothing real about it, and then there's all this sensational stuff about it. But as you read through the Gospel accounts, uh, there's no doubt that Jesus is dealing with people that the accounts keep talking about as being demon-possessed or having evil spirits. Now, how are we supposed to kind of deal with that material? Well, theologians in the 19th century and 20th century who uh, wanted to make the Christian faith more plausible, more acceptable to a scientific age, try to find ways to kind of explain all of this out of the Bible just to help Christianity out. And they sort of said, well, you know, those first century simpletons, uh, they didn't really understand mental illness. They didn't understand epilepsy. And so really when they saw those sort of things going on, they just said that the, these people had evil spirits, that they, had, they were demon-possessed. But the account that we are going to look at this morning doesn't really make sense of that attempt to rationalize. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. page 973 in the church Bibles. And uh, if you're visiting us, we're just working through Matthew's Gospel, and this is the text we've come to today from verse 28 to 34. It's a absolutely, it's always riveted me, this particular account. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 8, 28 to 34. Well, I'll read it to you. When he arrived... At the other side, in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. 
What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? I should really be screaming that out, but that might freak you out, because I think that's what they were doing. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Father, this is an unusual account. None of us have ever experienced something like this. And so we pray that you would grant us understanding, uh, that you would help us to see what it says about Jesus, what it says about us, that we may uh, respond rightly to your word. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Now, Matthew uh, wrote in first century Greek, and there's a little word in there that the NIV Bible translation has chosen not to translate. And, and, and it happens three times in the account. And it's basically a word that some, says something like this. Look, behold, see, look. And there's three times it says this here. There's, there's three places that kind of Matthew wants to kind of get our eyeballs fixed on this to, to think about what this says. All right? So there's three things he says to look at. Look at the pleading of the demon-possessed men, verse 29. Secondly, look at the pigs, as if we could take our eyes off the pigs. Look at the pigs. And thirdly, look at the pleading of the people of the town, verse 34. And what we're going to do this morning just, is just take a closer look at these three things. Help us to understand this account. So first off then, look at the pleading of the demon-possessed men. If you are here with us last week, uh, you will know that the disciples have had quite an amazing 24-hour period. Uh, we saw Jesus pushing off from large crowds in a boat with his disciples, heading across the lake, a furious storm coming up, such that they were terrified that they were going to die. And then something absolutely freaky happened. Uh, Jesus stands up, rebukes the winds and the waves, and from a great life-threatening storm, in an instant, there's calm. And you know, they were already terrified out of their lives. They, they were even more fearful at the end. And as they're rowing on these becalmed seas to the shore, they're saying to each other, what kind of man is this that can make even the winds and the waves obey him? So they've just been, I mean, that would be enough of a day, wouldn't it? But you, you, they come across, and uh, as the boat sort of lands on the shore, and as they, as they swing over the, the side of the boat, they put their feet on the ground, what happens next is unbelievable. These two violent, 
shrieking men start running towards them from a cemetery on the hillside. Can you imagine that? You're just starting to calm down as you get on the shore. You get off the boat and there's these two kind of men splattered in old blood and they are shrieking and they are running straight at you. Mark only focuses on one of them in his account and this is what he adds to it. He says um, that this person that he kept, uh, people kept trying to chain him up but they couldn't do so. He was too strong. He would break whatever bonds they put on him. Uh, these were violent, dangerous people who uh, in a sense seemed to live amongst the tombs uh, so that people just gave up walking to that bit of the lake. They were too scared to do so. Uh, these were sort of tortured souls who could be heard shrieking day and night on the hillsides and in the tombs. These were disturbing people. These were disturbed people. And the, and the, the account in Mark tells us that um, they, they were so disturbed they were cutting themselves, shrieking out. It's just this awful picture of these tortured souls. They were a menace. And of all places to land the boat, this boat lands in their territory. My goodness, what would you do? If you were the disciples, uh, what would you be uh, thinking? What would you be doing as these men rush towards you? I don't know whether you've ever been walking along Princess Street and there's lots of crowds, and then suddenly someone in the crowd starts speaking very loudly. And you look across, they're not on a phone. Um, I'm in Princess Street Garden. They're not saying that. They're just talking aloud to anyone. And they're starting to look around and making lots of loud noise. You ever had that experience? What happens at that point? The donut effect. Space opens up. Or if you've ever been on a train and someone starts shouting loudly and saying, what do people do? Avoid eye contact. Don't look. You'll only encourage them. Now these men were not merely just shrieking and shouting. They were, uh, they, they were running straight at them. What would you do? Uh, you would be pretty terrified, wouldn't you? It would be pretty scary. But the fascinating thing is that, is, that, is that Matthew says, look, look at who's frightened. They stop before Jesus and it is the evil spirits who are frightened. Verse 29, what do you want with us? Son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What an unusual thing to say. Why are these evil spirits so disturbed? Because Jesus has turned up. Because of who Jesus is. Now, at this point in Matthew's account, the disciples are a bit kind of clueless about who Jesus is. They, 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 they try to make head or tail of this uh, wind and waves incident, and they're not quite getting it. But the theology of the demons uh, is, is thoroughly orthodox. They know who Jesus is. What do you want with us, Son of God? They know that the Son of God has come to establish God's kingdom, a place where there will be no more evil, and therefore no more place for them. Now the devil and their cohorts have thoroughly orthodox theology. They just refuse to, to let that change their actions. In the book of Revelation, 
uh, verse 20, it says what the end of the devil and his cohorts will be. It says this, The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophets had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And these evil spirits know that actually on that final day of judgment, it is going to be the Son of God who's going to be the judge, who's going to cast them into that uh, location. And they cower before Jesus. They cower before his presence. They fear that somehow judgment day has been brought forward in their experience. And I wonder, as we hear the shrieking of the demon possessed, look at what they say. Have we considered how awesome Jesus Christ is? Yes, he came the first time, kind of veiled in frail human flesh. But in fact, in his person, he was someone with awesome Authority. We're dealing with actually the person who will be the judge of the living and the dead. Have you come to terms with this Jesus? What has Jesus done at this point? He's done nothing, has he? He's just, he's just got out of the boat. He's just standing there. He's in their territory, and that is enough to cause these evil spirits to fear, and they bow before him, and they beg to get away from his presence as quickly as possible. Now their response stunned the disciples. I mean, they would have been, any of us would have been terrified of these men, but it is these evil spirits that are terrified of Jesus. And so we see this strange request in verse 31. They, they beg Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Now look, they know what Jesus is going to do. They know that Jesus has come to rescue and liberate these two men who've been their tormented hosts. And so they make this weird request to enter the herd of pigs. Mark tells us there's about 2,000 pigs on the hillside. Now before we think about these little pigs, notice with me that Matthew records Jesus saying just one word in this account. It's stunning when you see it. He's done nothing. He's just stood there. They're cowering before him. And Matthew records him saying one word. Go. And I don't know uh, what people here have engaged with in the past. Um, for those who maybe come out of occult backgrounds, pagan cultures, uh, who've known what it is to live in fear of evil and spiritual forces, I want you to see from this account the matchless power of Jesus over evil, over demons. He just says, go. And they respond, they cower before him. And with one word, these two men are set free from this prison of their self-harming, this prison of their torment, of living as outcasts, as... Um, people of violence and loneliness. One word. And they're set free. Now can you see why I said earlier that um, we can't just see this as Jesus being a healer who's kind of soothing anxious minds. 
And, and, and Matthew tells us why we, we have to see this as a, as a sort of an exorcism, as, a, as these men being delivered of evil spirits by his second look. He says, look at the pigs. Verse 32. I mean, what a sight. A whole herd, 2,000 pigs, suddenly look up from eating away and rush down the hillside and get into the lake. And there they are, their carcasses bobbing in the water. Now, whatever you think about the destruction of this herd of pigs, I think there's a clear link between what Jesus says to these two men and what happens to these pigs. Uh, the men who took care of the pigs were quite clear that the two things were linked. This is not an issue just of mental illness. There is something supernatural going on here. Now, there are lots of questions about this account that you kind of go through your mind, which, you know, really, it doesn't answer. The text doesn't answer. But there's a few things we can see clearly here. Firstly, the destructive nature of evil. There is this kind of weird fascination with the occult, with the dark. I don't know whether any people here are kind of drawn to that and attracted to that. But I want to say to you, don't even start. I believe there is real evil. And you don't, you don't want to start opening yourself up to that. See here the, 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 the awful destruction of wickedness and evil upon these men. It turns these two men, I don't know what they were doing before this, but it turns them into the most tormented, tortured souls, cut off from the community, self-inflicting pain and suffering on them and anyone they meet. It is an awful scene. Well, this is what... The devil would do to people. This is what evil spirits do to people. And not, not only that, but when they are forced to leave these men, what do they do? Well, then they instantly go uh, into these pigs and seek to destroy God's creation and seek to damage the whole community who relied on these pigs and, and perhaps uh, seek to discredit Jesus. Jesus describes the devil in this way. He says, He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. The promise of, of those who seek to pursue power through occult and all that sort of dark stuff is a lie. It's the promises of, of power, of influence, of uh, control, it's a delusional lie. It entraps, it ensnares, it enslaves, it degrades brings torment. I don't know what causes a mother to just pick on one of her children and start beating her son and repeatedly doing that until till that, that boy's killed. I don't know what causes a person to break into a house and sexually assault a woman in her 80s and then attempt to kill her by stabbing her. I don't know why people took delight uh, in the London riots of causing such destruction and mayhem. But I do know that behind the scenes there is an evil one who loves to promote uh, the defacing, the destruction, the dehumanizing of people. Uh, that actually is behind a, uh, anything that promotes a culture of death. At uh, the Commonwealth Games, we had... Um, 
uh, the, the ceremony, a lot of talk about saving the children. And I think that's brilliant. But how do you fit that with a culture where we, we abort so many children, where we kill so many in the womb? This culture of death that's around us. It's been tragic again to hear about the inquest of Peaches Geldof, who just like a mum had so much going further, ends up taking her life, perhaps accidentally, but to the addiction of heroin. What, what? There's so much destruction and darkness, and the Bible says, you know, that's more than just human choice. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. Be, no, be under no illusion of the destructive nature of evil. But secondly, do you see here the value of a human soul? We don't know if Jesus knew uh, what would happen as he uh, commanded these evil spirits to leave, but it's clear the high value that Jesus places on the souls of these men. Whatever consequences, Jesus cared for these two men uh, too much to leave them in this state. And I want to say to you quite clearly today, each one of you is precious to God. Each person here today is precious to God. God has gone to great lengths coming in his one and only son to be your savior, to be the one who could forgive your sins, the one who to restore you and take you safe home. He values our souls and well-being something more than pigs. A hymn I love to sing, and uh, I'd like it at my funeral if anyone can remember, is, is this hymn. Jesus, the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall and devils fear and fly. I'm glad I have my hope in one who causes devils to fear and fly. Jesus, the name to sinners dear, the name to sinners given, it scatters all their guilty fear. It turns their hell to heaven. Jesus, the prisoner's fetters breaks and bruises Satan's head. Power into strengthless souls, he speaks, and life into the dead. What a glorious person is the Son of God. He scatters all our guilty fear. That's why he came to set us free from the penalty of our sin that would take us to hell. And of course, the greatest cost was born ultimately by him. In dying on the cross, he, he took the penalty of hell for our sins so that, we could, so that all who would trust him would know the certainty of heaven. He comes to liberate us from all the torments and, that afflicts us. And he's bringing in a kingdom that will banish all that is evil. What an amazing person is the Son of God. And if you're not trusting him, I don't know why that is. It doesn't make sense to me. Trust him today. There's a third thing that Matthew wants to draw out of this story. Another thing he says, look. Look at the people coming out of the town. Verse 34. Now you can imagine this, can't you? The pig herders were dramatically out of a job and there would be a significant inquiry, don't you think? If your job was to take care of 2,000 pigs, this has been a very bad day. And uh, you can imagine, they, they, after the shock, 
They scurry into town. As you can imagine, as they head back into town, they're giving all the reasons why it was not their fault. And it's clear to them. They get into town and they, they tell people about what has happened. And this is obviously devastating to the community. 2,000 pigs is a significant economic thing going on. This is a massive dent on the local economy, on people's jobs. And you know, they point out, look, it, it wasn't us. They were, they were fine. And then this man got out of a boat. And, and we saw these people shrieking at him. And, and in a moment, they were silent. Next thing, the pig started shrieking. And they ran like, it was Jesus. It was this guy. And so the whole town is coming out. Matthew says, look, the whole town's coming out. Now, what's going to happen? Uh, recently, we've seen some really horrible, violent crime in Edinburgh. And... Um, now, I wonder, what, what, what would we do? Uh, what, what, you know, how would we feel when the police finally apprehend and lock up the people who've committed some of these crimes? It would be a huge relief. We'd say, oh, thank you, wouldn't we? I mean, better than that, what, what, what if violent people who've caused torment to a community, uh, 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 their lives are so turned around that they are uh, not just locked up, but actually restored, peaceful, helpful? What an amazing thing. You, you might think, oh, Jesus, we've got a few more people we'd like you to come and help. Is that how they respond? Well, he says, look, look, they're coming out. And what do they do? They plead with Jesus to leave the area. Now, we see here why many people never start the Christian life at all. Because the truth was that Jesus had caused a lot of chaos that day. He brought too much upset, too much change into their community. It was too costly to have this Jesus being part of their lives. And the truth is, they would rather have had the pigs and these deranged people than to lose the pigs. They'd rather have the stuff than the Son of God. It's, it's tragic. And so they reject Jesus and they tell him to leave. Now I think it's fascinating that Matthew uses the same word for the demons begging Jesus to, 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 so they can get away from him. He uses the same word for that as of the, the people pleading. Same word underneath that Jesus would move away from them. I think the problem with the Hollywood movies and all that TV stuff is it's, it's bizarre and fanciful. The depiction of the devil. It's, it, the devil is only seen in the, in the bizarre and the spectacular. We see Matthew, I think, is teaching us that behind the scenes, in far more subtle ways, the devil is equally at work in those who reject Jesus, even though they look otherwise normal. The Bible teaches that behind people's intellectual and moral uh, rejection of the Christian faith, the rejection of the lordship of Jesus, is actually the work of the evil one. In the parable of the sower, Jesus speaks of the, of the hard soil where the, the seed kind of doesn't get anywhere, just bounces off, and the, and the birds come and snatch away the seed. And for those who feel clever in their rejection of Jesus, he points out, well, that's because the evil one is snatching away the seed of the word from their hearts. Behind rejection 
in everyday life. The evil one is at work, Jesus says. And the Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy that he must keep gently teaching God's word in the hope that God will grant people repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And this is what he says, so that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now here's the perspective of the Bible. You know, the devil is at work. And he's just as much as work uh, amongst bankers and professional people and people holding down regular jobs and regular life as those who pursue Satanism. By the way, the, the, the Bible does know the difference between epilepsy and being spirit-possessed. In lists of Jesus' healing, it speaks of epilepsy as something different. So they weren't such simpletons in the first century after all. Do you know, the really scary part of this account is really right at the end. And you go, as you go into the next verse, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over. Jesus is a gentleman here. They plead for him to go. Here's a scary thing. He left them. No account of him ever returning to this part of the, of the world again. And I want to say to people who are investigating the Christian faith, if you hear Jesus calling you and you're pushing him away, do not think that you're going to keep getting opportunities to have an opportunity to respond. If you keep pushing Jesus away, you're basically saying, go away from me, Jesus. I do not want you in my life. And here's the scary thing, that there's a limited number of opportunities that you might have to respond and be saved. And I want to say to you today that the offer of the gospel, that your sins can be forgiven, that you can be liberated from the evil one and enter into the kingdom of God, you could do that today if you will turn from your sins and trust this Lord Jesus. You could do it today. And if he's calling you, do not push him away. Trust Christ today. Three things in here. Did you see him? Look at the pleading of the demon-possessed men. Here is the Son of God who makes demons fear as he'll be the one who will be our judge. Look at the pigs. He's the one who's come to liberate us and save us from the evil, destructive powers that would destroy us. And he's done it at the greatest cost of his own life. And look at the pleading of the people in the town. Don't make the same mistake of rejecting this Jesus today. Another verse of that hymn I love, it says this, Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace. The arms of love that compass me would all mankind embrace. He'd embrace you too. If you've not trusted him today, come to Christ. Let's pray.